Thanks, Megan. How's everybody doing? How was your Thanksgivings? Yeah? Awesome. Uh, mine was awesome as well. We were up in uh, Virginia with my family. A lot of you guys know that that's where my family uh, lives now. My, my, my dad and my mom and my sister and her family, uh, they live outside of Richmond. And we did actually Thanksgiving Day over in Norfolk where uh, I have a niece and her husband. Uh, he's in the Air Force, I believe, waiting to, to ship out. But uh, we had a great day. Listen, before I go on, um, I want to kind of just hear from you guys. What, what do you guys, do you guys have any Thanksgiving traditions in your families? Anything you do like every Thanksgiving? Anything? Just shout them out. That's like lowest common denominator uh, tradition. What else? Anything above that? Anybody? Tradition? What's up? Play board games? Like what board games? Taboo. Okay, all right, that's good, that's good. Competitive family? Oh, yeah? Okay. If we, yeah, okay, if we did that in some of, some of our families, there would be like, you know, a disasters on Thanksgiving. Anybody else have any tra- traditions that you do on Thanksgiving? Watch football. What else? Fatty naps. <laughs> Fatty naps. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so like, so my family, uh, we've got a, a few different, you know, light tra- traditions that we do. Uh, we just started this one thing um, uh, recently where after the meal at some point, we just kind of circle up and, and it seems kind of hokey, but we just kind of go around the circle and we just kind of say, look, this is what I was, this is what I'm thankful for this year. That's significant for my family because, like my family, like a lot of us, has been through, uh, you know, been through some rocky times in the past couple of years. And for me, like those rocky times are the times that it's most important for me to be grateful. So we just kind of do it as a as a as a discipline, as it's like, look, we have to remind ourselves this. And this year was no different. We had some challenges in my family, so we just take like I don't know. It took like 15, 20 minutes. We just went around this big circle, and every single person, I'm, I'm grateful this year for this. I'm grateful this year for that. We did that. Um, we always watch, uh, we try to watch Elf, uh, either on Thanksgiving Day or very, very close to it. I slept through almost the entire movie. This, I took a fatty nap uh, on this awesome chair right in front of the TV, just was toast. Um, and then, you know, like some of us, uh, the other tradition associated with Thanksgiving is this thing called Black Friday, which is funny because it doesn't really occur on Friday anymore. Um, it seems to be creeping earlier and earlier. So anybody go out? This, uh, this, yeah, okay. Um, my my wife and my sister and my mother and some of my nieces, my daughter, they all went out on Friday. They weren't really like deal shopping because we were in Virginia. It's hard to travel with gifts, but they did go out for lunch and and just uh, hang out and. But there have been times that a season of life when, like, my wife was, like, up at the 4 o'clock in the morning and, like, out the door. I'm home with the kids, like, you know, and I'm always, uh, like, I was so naive, and I still am, really, about shopping. Because to me, shopping is like a 45-minute, 90-minute thing. And, like, I would still be blown away that I'm, like, six hours later, and they're still not home. (laughs) And these children are driving me crazy, right? Um, but uh, we did that. I, I have only been out, I think, there was one year uh, while we lived down here, and, and uh, Toys R Us had some kind of deal that was, I think, for my son and uh, my wife, Shana, was like, it was happening on Thursday night. She's like, you got to go. You got to go at like midnight. So I walked up there, and because, you know, I'm sort of an uh, introvert slash antisocial guy. Like, you know, I'm not going to do that. Oh, it's a party and we're all together. Like, I took a book. And I'm just like standing in the line. 
Like, don't talk to you, like, you know, I'm like moving forward, you know, and I did that, and I got the thing, I, I, I you know, got the thing I was after. I think they're the only other personal story that I remember one from one, uh, right around that same time is uh, Shana went out, I think on Friday morning, again, she, at Toys R Us here, and she said she was uh, in the checkout line, or she was waiting to get in the checkout line, and she heard this voice say, you know, some version of, help me. Help me. And uh, Shana turns around, and there's a woman who had climbed up on top of the shelves to get, like, the last version of something, and she was stuck up there and could not get down. And she's, like, just standing up there on top of the shelf. Help me, help me. So, uh, But, I mean, this is just a thing, right, in our culture. This is just uh, some kind of strange, bizarro world that we live in. And um, I could just kind of move right into the thing I'm going to tell you guys, uh, but I think just in case we forget of how good we can all look on Black Friday, let's just watch a short video to remind ourselves what we're capable of. Let's, Let's just watch this. Yeah, this really is the best of us, is it not? I don't even know. It looks like linens or pillows or something. I don't even know. This guy here is just throwing things probably to his family. All right, that's good enough. I don't need to show you guys this because we've all seen, surely, we have seen the footage. And uh, I, I want to tell you that, um, you know, I'm 49 years old, and, and, and part, of, uh, part of Friday I spent with my father and my brother-in-law and uh, where they live, uh, in, in, where my parents live in Richmond, they don't have a front porch, but we just kind of rolled some chairs into the garage and raised the garage door, and we're just sitting there talking. But like, they're, they're, you know, when you get a collection, I don't want to be weird, but when you get a collection of guys together, especially guys that have a little bit more gray hair than, than other color hair, it veers into grumpy old man talk pretty quick and pretty soon. And we're like sitting out there and watching and just, oh man, these kids today, they don't know this. And so I want to tell you, part of this talk is going to be grumpy old man, get off my lawn, Eric. That's just going to start pushing on us a little bit. Because I want to tell you, my, my agenda here uh, is not to stay in grumpy old man, but I want to challenge us to a different way of living and thinking over the next few weeks. Because we know what that looks like. We live in that, do we not? We know those. I, we don't need to see any more clips. But uh, at the same time, there is something better that we can be and do and think. And I want to kind of talk about that for a little while. And the reason I want to talk about it is that, again, with this sort of uh, phenomenon of, uh, I don't know, I just call it like sometimes complaining, um, we can have a tendency to complain about a whole host of things and never actually do anything about the things that we're complaining about. And I'm, exe- I'm not exempting myself. And actually, and actually, I want to kind of flip it here because I want to, I want to actually not talk to anybody sort of under the age of 30. Um, I'm going to kind of give you guys a pass for a second. I'm going to talk about my people, you know, because I have seen, I've hung out with my family. 
And we talk about, you know, the culture today, and we'll talk about how these young people today, they never get their face out of their cell phone, and all they ever do is check Facebook, and all they ever do is, like, live life in their phone. And in the next instant, I look around at all these people that are closer to my age than anybody in Jehai, and every single person in the room that ought to know better Candy Crush, you know, Facebook. I have, I have been with my family where we have talked about the 24-hour news cycle and how it just stirs up our, our angst and our, and our anger and our, and our rage and, our, and everything. We just talk, man, I, I, that 24-hour news. And then these same people, again, who ought to know better, will sit there and then watch three hours plus of the 24-hour news cycle. And there's a gap, you see, between the things that we complain about and the things that we're prepared to sort of change, especially starting with me, right? So I, I, I can rant a little bit about what Good Friday is in our culture and, 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 and how it looks to, to us, um, but... I also want to say that it's not just enough to complain if I'm not willing to do something about it. And so I'm going to talk about that, but I'm also going to offer us as a community some tangible ways to think different and be different and do different in the next few weeks. All right, because I don't think that that, what we just saw, is who we want to be. And I can't speak for the, for, the, for the overarching culture out there, but I can speak for this community and for what God is calling us to. And so the way I want to do that uh, today is I want to look at some words from uh, a guy named Paul uh, who wrote to a church in a place called Corinth, which is in Greece. And uh, I want to challenge us, like I said, to be different over the next few weeks. And we're going to start by just reading some of his letter in 2 Corinthians. And, and I've got a Bible here. If you need a Bible, you, you need one for use here or just take home. There's some Bibles around the room. You're welcome to have one on us, uh, but also the scriptures will be on the screen. So we're gonna start in chapter eight, verse one. And I'm gonna kind of unpack what's going on here as we go through it. So Paul says, now brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God, also to us. So we urged Titus, there's another early church leader, just as he had early, earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. All right, so we're going to pause here, and just let me tell you what's going on here. Um, the first thing I, I would like you to know is that, you know, the, the New Testament um, if you've ever read the Bible, like this is made up of real people and real churches in real locations, in real communities. And there's three churches 
that are sort of in the orbit of what Paul's talking about. So I said he's writing a letter to this church at a place called Corinth. That's where we get the title of the letter, 2 Corinthians. It's, his, it's Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth. And there's also a church that he references, the Macedonian churches. That is a church uh, in a town called Philippi. It's a, it's a town in uh, Macedonia that he's also referring to. And then he's talking about an offering that is being collected for the church at Jerusalem. So there's three churches right now that are kind of critical to this, our understanding of what's going on here. And now Paul references, look, there's this church in Macedonia and, and they are essentially going through uh, extreme poverty, they say, and even some persecution. And this is based on like where they're located. Philippi has a really unique town situation. And because of that, that church is undergoing some stresses. And furthermore, the church at Jerusalem, which is the mother church, that's where the whole thing starts. The church at Jerusalem is really going through it. They're going through famine and they're going through poverty. And the Jerusalem church is in need, desperate need of finances. So Paul's this early church leader and he's out starting churches. He starts the church in Philippi. He starts the church in Corinth. And then he's writing these letters to encourage and challenge them on different areas. And he says, look, the church in Jerusalem is in desperate need. And then he's telling the Corinth church, look, the church in Macedonia, Philippi, they have extreme poverty and they're being pressed upon, but they actually have given an amazing amount of stuff going on. So he's a church leader, he's writing to churches, and he's essentially trying to say, look, there's a need going on in Jerusalem that we have to address. That's what's going on. And I'm going to read sort of the rest of what he has to say here. Um, so he says in verse 7, Since you, again, this is to the church, since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you. Because he started this church. He's, he was like, man, I, I am invested in your beginning. I have kindled this love in you. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. And so what Paul does here is something kind of interesting. Like we just hold that there for a few, few uh, moments. Um, if you hang around churches long enough, you might understand that some of the things that Paul lists, faith, Knowledge, love, these are things that the church acknowledges as something called spiritual gifts, all right? And spiritual gifts are simply this, this uh, thing that we're told that God just gives to churches and he gives to people, particular skills and abilities that help him accomplish his mission in the world. Faith is simply this, this ability to trust God. Speech is this uh, ability to kind of speak God's truth and love, and it kind of seems like a no-brainer, but sometimes we need a supernatural assistance to love people. Anybody ever been there? Like, man, I just need some help to love people. Well, what Paul does here that's really, really interesting is he equates giving as a, also a spiritual gift. He says, look, the way we start this thing is to acknowledge that uh, giving is actually a gift from God. It is not just something that we white knuckle or try really hard to do or, or hold up as a standard. It is actually a gift that God gives the church. 
And he says, look, just like these other gifts, make sure, he says, that you excel in the gift of giving, which is almost like a, you know, it's like a redundancy. The gift of giving. Can you give the gift? So it starts off with the idea that we don't necessarily even manage this up for ourselves. God gives us the gift to give. Then he goes on. I love when he writes this way. Paul says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. That's like kind of alien to our, the way we talk about stuff now in the church. Like we don't, like we don't want to compare, you know, to, to other churches and what they give. Paul just jumps in it. And he jumps in it even more so when you think about who he's just referenced. Because remember, who's he trying to collect money for? The church of Jerusalem. Now what we know about the church at Corinth is it had some wealthy people in it. It had some under-resourced people. It had some resource-challenged people in it. Had some wealthy people in it too. And then he starts off this passage by saying, hey, there's a church. That, remember that church in Macedonia? That, that church at Philippi? Um, their extreme poverty welled up in generosity. And then Paul says, I'm not telling you what you have to do, but let's compare you to that persecuted poor church in Macedonia. You think he hasn't just turned the heat up on this church a little bit? I'm not commanding you, but let's compare how you're doing with that poor church of Philippi in giving to the church of Jerusalem. Then he goes this, and this is where he really kind of leads it to another level. He says, verse 9, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became what? Poor. So that through you, his poverty might become, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And with that, Paul kind of just takes it to a whole new level. Because Paul essentially says at this moment, look, when you're talking about giving, um, we don't talk about giving as a way to guilt people. We don't talk about giving as a way to like make yourself feel better. All giving really is based out of Jesus and who he is and what he's done. Because Paul says, look, you've got Jesus who in other areas of scripture, he says was actually God. And Jesus comes and actually gives so much that he gives his life for us. For the entire world. And Paul says, you know why you give? Not just because I kind of said, hey, compare yourself to the Philippians. You actually give because it actually starts with what's been given to you. What's been given to you? And we just spent 12 weeks, if you were here for any of the 12 word stuff, that Jesus came to show us this thing called rich and abundant life, the 1010 life. He came to show us how to do it. That's a gift. That's a gift that God gave me. And Paul says, look, when you talk about thinking differently about the season, when you talk about giving instead of getting, you start with what has been given to me. And the idea that Jesus emptied himself and gave everything and became not just poor, but became tortured and executed for me and the entire world. So Paul just changes the game, and makes it super intense. Then he goes on. 
So he says, here's my judgment about what it is, what's best for you in this matter. He says, Corinth Church, last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. So he pats him on the back. Look, last year you signed up early for this thing. You were the first. You wanted to help the Jerusalem church. Good job. Then he says this. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. Like I, I was thinking about this this morning. I don't know how many pe people here, like ever, anybody ever start projects that you never finish? I was thinking like my wife could like put this somewhere like where I would see it every day. Finish this project so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. Paul's just saying, look, it's not enough to say, it's not enough to start. You got to finish. You got to finish. You got to complete what you agreed to. And then he says, if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So listen, he's saying, look, I'm being realistic. I'm not saying to give what you don't have. I'm not saying to, I'm not expecting what you don't have in your community to give. But he says, what you do have and what you have committed to do and what you have planned to do, you should do and finish the what? Work. All right, which leads me sort of to uh, a real kind of um, essential of thinking different, of making a plan. If, if you're not gonna be those people who just say, man, these, these, these kids today, they, they, they just don't know how to get their, their faces out of their cell phones. Uh, you know, if you don't wanna just complain about things, but you wanna be a part of changing things, I would say this, you better have a plan. You can't just say, man, I'm going to change. We're going to change things and not make a plan to do it. Paul, actually, this is, like I said, his second letter to the church at Corinth. In his first letter, just a few pages to the left, he says in chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians, he tells them, I'm going to tell you how you should give. He said, chapter 16, verse 1, now about the collection for the Lord's people. This is the same collection, still for the Jerusalem church. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do, another segment of churches. He says, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Not what you don't make, but what you do make. Saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Paul's like, look, just do it this way. And he says, dude, do this first. I don't know if you're anything like me, but when I don't set aside money first, you know what happens to the money that I thought I was going to give uh, when I get to the end of the month? There's no money to give. And so Paul's saying, look, if you want to do things differently, if you want to live counterculturally in a, in a time uh, in our culture that is saying, get, 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 Paul says, you better plan, plan, plan. Set aside money first. And he says, look, keep up your commitment to living this way. And essentially, again, it's, it's, this, this, it's just said this, uh, uh, it's this simple. Giving is not only spontaneous and unplanned. Anybody ever seen that, that, that bumper sticker that says, uh, commit random acts of kindness? 
Well, you know, the, the, the way that Paul would say is actually, no, 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 go beyond random act of kindness and commit intentional acts of kindness, planned acts of kindness. Set your resources and your agenda so that you can give these things. Because if you don't, you will have trouble finishing the work. And so as we sit there, uh, as we sit here after Black Friday in just a few weeks to Christmas, if we want to live counterculturally, and I'm just kind of throwing this out to the folks of you guys who would say, I'm signed on to the Jesus movement, I'm signed on to the kingdom of God, I'm going to challenge you, live differently, and I'm going to challenge you also, okay, make a plan now. What can we and our family kind of do without for the next few weeks? Can we give up one ex, uh, outside meal for the next few weeks? Can we, give, can we give up this? Can we give up that? Because, man, I just don't know if we want to just kind of jump into this tide of culture that just kind of carries us into uh, the, the worst behaviors that we can. Of It's mine, it's mine, it's mine, you know? Make a plan and complete the work. And he goes on and he says this, uh, verse 13. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be what? Equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal, again, he says, is equality. As it's written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. He's referencing the central story of, Jew, of, of the Jewish people, um, the Exodus. But, but the premise and, and the point here is that he says, look, there's a part of the church that's in need. And, and they uh, are suffering right now. And Corinth Church, you have some resources, so you should surrender them and provide for this other part of the church, this other part of the body. And then I think he's saying in there, and you don't know when you're going to be in need. And when you're in need, the pendulum will swing back the other way, and maybe they'll help you. But the point is, the point that I really want to kind of put in your head is this, that for Paul, giving is church, local church-centered. It's local church-centered. Now, you know, we could, we could parse this a little bit. You go, oh, yeah, but you know, Eric, there weren't all these parachurch organizations. There weren't all these charities in Paul's day. That's fine. That's great. But in this instance, what Paul's saying is like, look, there are local communities. And as part of the body of Christ, we should be giving first to those communities because we're all one body. We're all one family in need. And so you might be here this morning and you might have like, man, I have all these charities I give to. And we should be generous people in the world. But there is also this thread in the New Testament that said, man, you, you have to start with your local church. And if, if, you're, if you are a part of E3's community, if you're visiting here, don't worry, this is not for you. But if you're part of E3's community, if you're all in, I would just say, man, look, look to your home first. Because we have needs and people have needs in this body. And before we, before we write our, our generous checks to, you know, whatever charity that we're a part of, you know, Compassion International or International Justice Mission, all these lists and endless, endless groups of people, are we giving here? Are we giving here? 
If we want to think differently and be different in this season, a way we can do that is by saying, man, I first got, I got to look at what's going on in my church and how my generosity is affecting my church. All right. So uh, at, at verse 16, he makes a shift, and he starts talking about this guy Titus and how they're going to deliver the offering to, to Jerusalem because you can't just wire money in, in the first century. You can't, uh, you can't just send a check through the mail. It has to be hand-delivered. So he, he goes through that, and then he picks up the instructions. In chapter 9, verse 6, he says, look, he says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Some of you guys are like saying, I'm feeling pretty compelled right now, Eric. Um, it's not my intention. It's not Paul's intention. Paul's just laying out an argument, and I'm just laying out an argument about how can we be different in this culture. So give what you have decided to give, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God's able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work, Paul says. As it is written, they've freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. He sort of wraps up this way. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge your harvest of righteousness. All right, before I go on, let me just be clear here. There, there's something called the prosperity gospel. It's really um, it's kind of endemic to this era of Christianity that says, look, you know, if you, if you give me or give E3 $10, guess what? God's going to give you $100 back. That's not what Paul's getting at here. Remember who he's writing to. A church with some resources. People with some resources. So he's saying, like, look, maybe a way to think about this is like, you know what? God's given you a lot already. Why would you not trust that if you take your hands off of it, he won't send a little more your way because you've done pretty well already? He's not saying to folks who are like, man, I, I'm scraping together uh, just enough for a meal right now. Paul's not saying, oh, then give that up and then, and then you know, God will send you more. I think the premise is a little bit more like you've got to be wise about these things, but he's writing to people with resources I'll come back around to that in just a moment. He says, look, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. He is saying, look, God does not send resources your way to just enlarge your territory, to get the bigger screen TV, to get the bigger house. God sends resources your way so that you can be generous. It's just that simple. Then he wraps up, says, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service which you, by which you've proved yourself, other people will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel. So he just basically says, look, when you give, you are confessing the gospel of Jesus. When you are generous, you're essentially telling the world about the generosity of God, about the gift that God has given you through this man, Jesus. For your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace that God has given you. 
And then he wraps up, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What's the indescribable gift? The indescribable gift is Jesus. Paul doesn't say the indescribable gift is your fat bank account. The indescribable gift is the gift of Jesus. But that's the source of our generosity. The source of why we give is because we have been given so much. And I love what he says here. He says, look, when you give this money, there's going to be people who praise God and thank God because of your gift. But you know what? Understand, these people in Corinth will probably never meet these people in Jerusalem. It's a different time. And a lot of us will go, I'll give, but I really expect that thank you. I'll give as long as I feel appreciated and I feel like my gift is like I'm honored for that gift. And Paul says, no, no, no. You can trust that people will thank God when they hear about your generosity, but you may never, ever hear thank you from the Jerusalem church just because they won't, you may never get there. He says, trust them. Trust that this will result in the praise and thankfulness to God. Which really gets at sort of the last idea of, of, uh, of giving. And to, to kind of set this up, I want to I bounce back to a teaching of Jesus. Um, in Matthew, uh, Matthew's gospel, which is just these, these good news stories about Jesus, there's something called the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe you've heard of it. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is like Jesus's, from my opinion, his, his constitution. Jesus' core agenda in the world is found in Matthew 5 through 7. You want to know what the, the, the unshakable foundations of Jesus and his kingdom are? Read Matthew 5 through 7. And at one point in that, in that sermon, he says a couple of statements in Matthew 6. And at one point he says, look, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. And then just a little bit below that, he says, look, seek God's kingdom first. And all of these things are going to be added to you. Now, there's a lot that happens between these two statements, but there's deep wisdom in, in it. Jesus just says, look, wherever you put your treasure, your heart is going to tend to gravitate to that place. And so I think Paul would say, like, hey, there's treasures that we just need to release into the into the kingdom of God. And the treasure can be resources, financial. The treasure can also be your time in service. The treasure can also be the talents, the gifts that God has given you. There's lots of treasures. But Paul says, look, um, just send that out there because if you don't, your heart's just gonna stay wherever those treasures reside. Jesus would say that. And then Jesus says, look, if you put the kingdom of God first, all of these things will be added to you. And what are these things? Well, what Jesus is just done saying is he said, look, uh, there are people in the world who worry about, oh my gosh, when am I going to get new clothes? How is God going to take care of me? Uh, how am I going to be taken care of in the world? And, and I just want to be, this is grumpy old man time, just to let you know, our culture is going to confuse what it means to be taken care of. See, our culture is going to tell us that we need a certain number of new uh, pairs of jeans or a certain number of new shirts or a certain number of new cars every so often to be 
taken care of. And grumpy old man Eric just says, man, I just don't know if that's the way this thing is supposed to go. And Jesus says, look, no, no, put the kingdom of God first. And then he says, all of these things will be added to you as well. And what Jesus is saying is like, when you put the first things first, his kingdom, how does he live in the world? How does he expect me to live in the world? Then actually what will happen is I'll stop worrying about what it means to be taken care of. And for some of us, that means like, you know what? I don't need any new clothes this year or next year. Uh, I actually am, I'm actually doing pretty well by, the, by our culture's standards. For some of us, it might mean um, trusting God, like I said, that, that, that he's given me skills that have, that have maybe brought me to a place in my career where I've been given a lot. And, but, but what happens if I surrender these resources that I've amassed? Can I trust God that he'll actually send more opportunity my way? Maybe you can. Seek God's kingdom first. And I don't know all the ins and outs of God's kingdom. There's a certain point of it that's a mystery. But I want to tell you, I don't think God's kingdom looks like people scrambling for a flat screen TV at 4 a.m. on Friday. I think God's kingdom, based on the indescribable gift, really presses me to say, man, I've been given so much already. What more do I need in the world? I have wants, you know. I want a new coffee grinder. I want all kinds of gadgetry. But a want's not a need. But we live in a culture that says, no, 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 no. You want this. I just heard an advertisement yesterday Friday, the deal of a lifetime. Don't miss this opportunity. Paul and Jesus say, you've already had the gift. You can't miss it. You've already got it. There is no such thing as a deal of a lifetime. But we need to switch our thinking. So this is the way I'd like to kind of wrap up. I want to read the words of Paul to that church at Philippi that church that is pressed upon, that church that is experiencing poverty and yet somehow like got themselves together to give this big gift to Jerusalem. And I, want to hear, I want you to hear what he writes to them and I'm going to play some images and I want this to be disjointed. I want you to see what we can be pushed to if we don't live in the kingdom of God, but I want you to hear what the kingdom of God looks like. So watch the, watch the screens, but listen. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if, if there's any comfort from his love, if there's any common sharing in the spirit, if there's any tenderness and compassion, then Paul says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love and being one in spirit and of one mind. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, 
not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mind as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. But instead, Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We don't have to, to live this way. And I'm not saying that we, I'm not, this is no anti, like, look, you know, I like a, I like a deal. But there's something that can be pathological in the more, 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 more. And Jesus kind of says, you've already, you've already got the gift. But to think different and do different and be different, we have to remember, look, we have to have a plan. It stems from Jesus we have to make it focused on, on the church. We can't just like throw our resources out there willy-nilly. We've been called to live a certain way. And we have the opportunity to do it. So I want to ask you a couple questions, and then I want to kind of tell you um, about something we're, we're planning on doing. I just want to ask you, do you want this season to be different? Do you want, do you want to be different over the next five weeks? Are you living your life now in the light of like you've got the indescribable gift of Jesus now? You've already received the gift. And then I just want to ask you this question. What would it mean to embrace radical generosity this season? And again, part of that might be resources for some of us who have been, as I've heard it said, afflicted with affluence. But some of us, radical generosity might be how are you spending your time? We have needs here at the church. We always do. Just people that can say, man, I can give an hour here. I can give an hour there. How are you using the, 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 the talents and the gifts that God's given you? We all have passions and strengths that we've been given. God, how are you using that? Are you prepared to embrace radical generosity? I'm, I'm so glad you asked me that question because... I'm going to tell you what's coming next. So I don't know if you know this, but like traditionally, uh, Christmas does not start until December 25th, much less the day after Thanksgiving. Christmas doesn't even begin, according to the church, until the 25th. What comes before Christmas is Advent. And a lot of us just think that's an excuse to open up a little calendar and get chocolate out of it. <laughs> Advent for the church is a time of preparation and reflection because you're getting ready to remember why you needed a Savior in the first place. We kind of tend to blow right past Advent and get to the good stuff. But at E3, we have always done an Advent series. 
And next week, we're starting this thing called Adventus, which is the Latin for Advent, which means the coming into, the preparation, the beginning. And in light of what I just kind of said to you, we're flipping the script. We're going to try to flip the script. And every week in Advent, we're going to serve somebody. And we've identified as best we can demographics of people that, are, that are, have specific needs. Over the next four to five weeks, some of them are Tallahassee-based. Some of them, it's a little bit bigger radius. But I, don't, I have no idea how you guys are going to respond to this. But every week when you come here, there's going to be a tangible thing that you can sign up to do or give to or just participate in. So get ready. We want to do and be different in the world, and I'm just trying to say, if you were looking for a place to start, we're going to help you. We may not be able to fix the whole world, but we can fix the world for a few people over the next four weeks. That's what we're going to do. And you're going to find out sort of each week who the people are that we're serving. There will be a plan where you can walk out of here and go, okay, we're going to try and do this different. Here's exactly what we have to do this week. Amen? Let's do different and be different and stand up for closing prayer.